You're very welcome to the Sports Chronicle podcast. My name is Dave O'Regan. I'm part of the team here at the Sports Chronicle. And in this episode, we're delighted to bring you Leinster captain and Ireland out half Johnny Sexton. He's joined by journalist Gavin Comiskey to talk about perception versus reality when it comes to performing for the Irish rugby team. Johnny Sexton is an ambassador for Lea Healthcare, the official health and wellbeing partner to Leinster Rugby. Lea Healthcare recently released the Sexton series, a three-part digital series that you can watch now on Lea Healthcare's Facebook, Twitter and YouTube channels. Find them on any of those at Lea Healthcare. Okay, Johnny, thanks a million for doing the Sports Chronicle. Appreciate your time. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good. Thanks. Busy day today or on media duties or? Uh, Day off, so a bit of uh, physio rehab this morning and then... um, meeting with uh, some of the Irish management and then in here to to do this. So you never get a day off then, really, do you? Uh, no, well, days off for, for, you know, a lot of guys now don't really take a day off. You know, I'd say half the squad was in this morning doing extras, just doing, oh, yeah. looking after their bodies or picking up some stuff on injuries or just seeing the physio. So it's not a, yeah, there's not too many full days off. Mm. I want to ask you because it was kind of topical and came up last week was Dave Alred uh, kind of you coming in and he does a bit of work with you mm. and it was funny when, I, I didn't even realise it when you were asked about it you said it's been 11 years like mm. how long how did it come about was it back in 08 or 07, 09 or yeah. how did it come about with him who put you in what connection been, with it would have been the year before I made my Irish debut so it would have been 2008 um, and Paul Maloney who was uh, Adidas uh, head guy in Ireland and Rog was using him because he'd worked with him in 2000 and what Lions years was it 2001 2005 5 yeah, yeah. and Roger's on Australian 2001 as well so Roger knew him and he used to come over and work with Roger all the time and then I basically got a tail end of one of the sessions to, to meet him for like half an hour with like three or four other young out halves and um, he I don't know if he saw something in me or and, and I loved working with him um, but he sort of said look next time I'm back I'll, I'll pick up with Johnny for like half a day and uh, got to know him and then through Adidas um, I have it in my contract that um, I get a certain amount of time with him per year uh, so instead of the money some money coming to me it goes to him and uh, so it keeps me happy keeps him happy and uh, it's a brilliant arrangement and uh, I've yeah I loved it I got basically take him where I can and um, he's very busy with different golfers Molinari at the moment changed um, his swing didn't he changed his game he doesn't really I don't know if he changed his swing but he's changed a lot of how he practices and um, you know the results I think speak for themselves with him and uh, yeah so I, like I said I Dave rings me and says are you around I said look I'm around whenever you are and uh, squeeze him in whenever I can and uh, yeah he's he's top class really and uh, I'm very lucky to it was a big turning point in my career getting to work with him I think uh, it was you know, at the time I wasn't getting picked for Leinster and one of the big things was, uh, was goal kicking. You know, I hadn't been trusted with the, with the role and, um, you know, I, I suppose meeting him and getting thing. And then suddenly at the end of that season, I was standing over a penalty against Munster in, in Crow Park. And, uh, you know, that was the, the result of, you know, six months work with him and, and sort of breaking through then. Because was it, he's a kicking coach, obviously, but he seems like there's a bit more to it. It's, is there a, is there a mental preparation side to it? Is there a movement thing or? Uh, he's a performance coach and, uh, he, he knows a lot about, you know, physics and, um, 
applied maths and all those things so he knows the different way the body moves stuff that I don't need to worry about but he he's a very good coach as well you know so he can coach me to to do something without sort of saying you know don't do this because as he tells me the brain can't you know comprehend don't it only you know can do things it can't not do things if that I don't know if that makes sense um so it's uh you know learning about all the different sides of the game um you know with him and you know he's worked with so many different fields like he's worked with fighter jet uh pilots he's worked with really? dolphins he's worked with uh so he you know you name it he's he's worked with them and he's picked up different experiences with with different people across the years and uh yeah i get to tap into that and you know i, I love learning about sport in different areas and i get to, to tap into him with that i i read somewhere i've read about a lot of with him over the years going all the way back to when him and wilkinson were kind of a duo that you kind of want you to be like a four or five year old in your mentality with mistakes where you just move on is do you ever dealt with that before when you make a mistake and you just don't make it again is does he does he go through that kind of stuff with you where just it, again it's a mental side of you just a loyalty to your technique almost kind of a thing have you yeah it's probably the hardest part about kicking isn't it like to to not let the the previous kick affect the, the next kick and um it's still the hardest part you know when you if you miss a kick left your tendency straight away is to alter it a little bit so you don't do that again but it's actually trying to you know make your brain to think what you want to achieve as opposed to what you don't want to what you want to avoid um so learning those type of things and he's uh yeah it's, it's uh, you see a four or five year old practice and they 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 do a good one they just want to repeat the good one when they do a bad one they don't care they just want to go and do the good one again it's that's how his philosophy works and uh it's a big kids again basically yeah i'm not the best at it uh, i still curse when i don't do uh get the get the when i do a bad one but um no it's um i suppose he's he's very he's at the top of his field really and when you're surrounded by the people at the top of their game um you know it, it makes you want to improve and that's been his philosophy is there's continuous improvement you know just you're always trying to get better and i love that uh, mentality I'd struggled at times over the last couple of months with with one thing or another um quad growing hip um so for, as a kicker that's pretty important um and yeah just got the body good over the last few weeks and so it was a mixture of both obviously when he's over um, but it was the first week I got to practice the way I like to practice in terms of I practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I got to um, play on Saturday um, and feel prepared and feel good. And um, that's the ideal week, and that's why their performance was good. And then and sometimes when you have a bad performance, it's because you, you don't train all week and you have to go out and try and bluff it on the Saturday, and that can lead to... The inconsistencies in performance that that people don't see, you know. Yeah, because it's kind of a catch twenty two. You don't want to start going, "I was sore, and that's why I played bad." So you can never admit that you have a problem. But that's normally what happens is when your body's not, as you said yourself, when you don't get a chance to go away and heal properly, it's going to it's going to creep into your performance. It's not an excuse. It's it's every sportsman will be the under the same. Like if you're a sprinter and you've had a great prep before a big race, you're going to run well if you've had a you know thing. But like I where. It's it's not that you're definitely going to play bad. It's the it's just the inconsistencies in your preparation sometimes can lead to inconsistencies in your performance. And like you know, sometimes you can have a bad week prep and you can play brilliant. So it's not always the case. Uh, you know, I felt I 
I, I played really well, for example, against France in the Six Nations or started the game against Scotland. I did some really good things and I didn't have ideal prep for them. So it's not, it's not always, um, the exact same every week, but, um, the, from an ideal point of view as a athlete, like a professional rugby player, you want good preparation and often that leads to your best performances. As far as 2019 goes, it's only kind of getting, to, it's only starting to go a little bit upwards now, isn't it? Um, you just haven't played them with rugby, I suppose. Well, I played since, every game in the Six Park, Nations. Anyway. Yeah. I played five games in the Six Nations, came off against Scotland, of course. Um, but yeah, you know, it, there was, uh, didn't go as, as we would have liked the Six Nations, but then, um, you know, the, I felt after France that we were going to turn a corner. And Can you turn that into a positive? What happened? Obviously, the England and Wales games, but it was just, must have been just terrible to be in it at the exact time or in the immediate aftermath. But now, do you, do you have to turn it into a positive or can you just turn those two defeats into something that's going yeah, to benefit you? we learned so much from them. Um, like we learned that the mar- in the England game, we learned the margins are so small. You know, when you make some of the errors that we made in those games, like particularly the way we conceded three tries, um, you know, we did really well to get back to 10-7 up and then even at 17-13 down, we had a chance. Um, you know, and then we can see another try. You know, we just got sucker punched in a few, a few areas and, uh, look, they, they played really well. Um, so we learned a lot from that. And then I think the Wales game was just, uh, when you're chasing the game in those conditions, it was maybe some of the worst conditions I've played in, uh, in terms of how wet it was. And, uh, that can happen. You know, we, we envisaged the game being totally reversed. Like, you know, when, if we got a lead and then made ch- them chase the game, we could have done exactly what they did to us, just pick us off and, you know, um, put pressure on us and... Uh, like if Stockdale escaped down the wing, if he hadn't been caught, yeah, does it change a, everything nearly? Or? Well, we're 7-0 down, we, we have that chance, then we have another mall line-out drive, five metres out, doesn't go to plan, we have a scrum underneath their posts, doesn't go to plan, so, you know, we have three big chances and we don't take any of them and I don't really know if they had any other try-scoring chances in the game, but they were able to just put massive pressure on us, kick the ball behind us, let us have to try and play out because we have to try and chase the game and... We wanted to do the exact same thing to them, but we didn't get the lead and we didn't get the chance to do that. And, uh, yeah, we'll, like I said, we'll learn from it and, um, we'll come back, we'll come back better for it for the World Cup. Did they do to you, like, pretty much what you did to Toulouse? They made one mistake, Ramos made one mistake and he's almost snatched the game away from them. He kicked the ball dead. Was that like, were you in your head going, they're gonna, he's gonna pay for that now, we're back on halfway? Is that the mentality or he's clicking into a move or what was um, that? Yeah, like they're, they're the, they're the small little margins that you live in. And I know when we were winning Grand Slams and European Cups and we were saying, look, things could have been so different if we didn't do this. And I think some of the, the media were kind of going, yeah, yeah, you're just throwing out the spiel that we get told to say. But we genuinely felt those things that, you know, you, you talk about some of the small margins that happened in that Wales game. Even the Scotland game where seven nil up, they've huge pressure on us and Jacob gets an intercept and we go in. You know, or I think that was nil all at that stage. We go in seven nil and then we go try just before half time. We go in 14. Um, you know, they're the, you know, that game could have been so different. We could have lost to Scotland at home last year. Um, so it's, it's, um, yeah, we know we're not too far away from where we were against New Zealand or England and Twickenham last year. And we just need to, you know, find where areas that we need to improve. And we've, we've definitely found some of those areas through the Six Nations. I just on the outright thing, is there anyone else in your career who's had kind of a similar, not necessarily a kicking coach, a performance coach, anyone else who's had that kind of prolonged impact on you, be it even a medic, a physio coach who has sustained 
kind of influence on your career or making you Man, money? Like loads. Yeah. Like they're the, the the people that you meet through your career, the people that set you on a on a bit of a path to somewhere else, you know. And uh, I've had like when Cheka came into Leinster, that was a big thing. I remember um, I remember playing an Leinster under twenties game, and I was told I wasn't playing in that interprovincial series because I just come into the academy and they said, "Look, you're you're going in. You're going to just work physically for three or four months and get you up to professional level." And I remember begging with the coach, just let me play this game against Ulster. And I played well. And Michael was there and he just come in as coach. And he, I remember coming off and I was sitting on the sideline, just on the barrier on the underneath the stand. Next thing I got a tap on the shoulder and I look up and it's, it's Czech. And he goes, mate, I want to see your training this week. And I was like, I'm just in the, just got into the academy and he's inviting me to, to train with the senior team. And like, so that's a big moment to get to work with him and David Knox and then, Alan Gaffney comes in, get to work with him. Um, I think Joe then, probably the coach that had the, the most influence on me over over those six years or three years with Leinster and then four years with Ireland. Did he change your game? Did he do lots for your actual game like um, as a coach? Never mind anything else. Well, he teaches you about the game. So through, like, obviously watching you play and, and criticising, uh, praising in reviews, um, in training. Um, and then of course Stuart coming into into Leinster at a time where you know Leinster weren't going well, and suddenly he comes in and uh, you know he challenged me in in different ways. That uh, it was great because you know you always want to know what the international coaches are saying. Like I love to know what the French coaches or English coaches are saying about Ireland before you play against them, and, and I got. That was due. I, you know, he was able to tap in. What, what did you think of Ireland when you're playing against him? What did you think of me? What did you know? What areas did you? Sometimes I wasn't even asking. He was just telling me uh, how you, how they searched, how they went after. Yeah, you, you know, we totally could have got you here. You know, if we if we range you up this way, we could get this reaction. And if we did this, we could get this. And uh, you learn from that. And then you know, he challenged me in different ways. Um, so like, there, you know, I could go back to school days and go to some of the coaches there. But yeah, it's the it's the people you meet. It's the some of the teammates, Brad Torn, like meeting him, getting to to tap into his mind and working with some of the greatest players that play for Ireland. You know, so it's the players that you meet and the, the coaches that that improve you. I think they're the, Torn and Alred have a link, don't they as well? Yeah, they're now working together with the Reds. Yeah. Um, so. But the, the Lancaster one is interesting because the narrative for the media we loved was the Tom Brady. He's turning into Tom Brady, he lasts forever kind of a thing. But it was just a fun thing for everyone. But there has to be much more than that. That obviously must have been something where he kind of said, look, but you can actually do here longevity-wise. But did he, did he, was he, was it that real real? Or was there any other kind of things that he kind of said, look at these people, look what they do and you can do that? Yeah, he's very like that, Stu, in terms of showing you people and teams that, that have been successful and taking bits from them. But also he's he was able to you know, say, what about, you know, look what you're doing here. You, you need to do this a little bit better. And, uh, you know, a fresh pair of eyes that, you know, maybe someone else hadn't said to you or didn't want to say to you or didn't feel they could say it to you. Um, so like they, they were the, the, the big, you know, points with him. And obviously then we had a, a season of near misses, um, you know, semis in both competitions. And then we had a season of, you know, Doing the double. The I, I want to ask you just a bit about World Cups. I, I read recently that um, if you had a do over, you'd go back to 2011 and you could go over and go back and do that again. Mm. Um, is there a regret there? What would you do differently if you if you could have had go back to New Zealand again with Decky and Raj and the whole 
situation, would you change much? Like you were the starting 10 against Australia. So everything was going around at that moment. Is there much you change if you had that again? I'd probably change the, my preparation before it. Um, I suppose I come off the back of a you know great season with Leinster, we won the Hunting Cup. I was playing really well. Um, and I kind of went in, you know, to, to really enjoy things and, and I probably got the balance wrong in terms of I probably spent more time playing golf in Carton House than did practicing my, uh, my goal kicking. But that was a, I suppose, conscious decision, something that I, I, I thought I, I could do and wanted to do. But it's only in hindsight that you, you sort of feel these things now, you know what I mean? And I worked hard, you know, but I didn't feel like I got the, the balance right. And I definitely wouldn't prepare like that now. Um, but again, like I said, that's hindsight. And at the same time, you know, I remember, coming out in that second half from Australia and I had overheard Declan speaking to Les Kiss or to, to Mark Tainton, sorry, apologies, uh, before at halftime and said, look, do we, do we need to make a change? I missed, I think, two place kicks in the first half and I had a big kick to take in the start of the second half and I nailed it and I thought, right, you know, having heard what I heard and it had half time, um, cause they didn't see me that, you know, I, that was a big kick for me. And then I had another kick out wide out in the left and I hit the post and it was a perfect kick, hit it exactly where I wanted it, but just drifted slightly on the wind, hit the post. Uh, Rog comes on, I moved to 12. Um, that was odd, wasn't it? No, not really. We had planned that like when the game got a certain way, we wanted to, to do that. And I love playing 12. I, uh, I played a little bit in, at our schools. I played a little bit in school at 12 and, uh, I, I like the idea. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, Good way to organize just in a different part of the, the, the field. And, um, you know, if I didn't hit the post there, I would have probably taken the next two kicks, which were not straight, no kick is straightforward, but they were easier kicks. Um, suddenly I would have been five from seven and a drop goal and kicked all the points to beat Australia. And it just changes the whole complexion of my performance. Me probably get to play in the quarterfinal against Wales. Um, so again, it all, comes back to those small things that you know in off the post or holds its line for another yard um, and things just change totally does the stubbornness of Raj something you can use now in your mid-30s that way he hung on in and came back when you you'd usurped him and he came back and got it like does it, he gets an enormous credit for it whether it was a good idea at the time or whatever but do you look at that and go yeah that's how I want to be <laughs> towards the end of my career just uh, not giving it up no matter what yeah I don't want to get usurped. That's that's what I want to learn from it. Not how do you bounce back. I just don't want to. I don't want to be where he was in terms of me jumping over him and getting those starts. I want to, you know, be the equivalent of me going to the World Cup now and losing my place to to Joey, Jack, or Ross. And um, you know, I want to stay at number one and, and stay there for as many more years as I can. The um, just bring it on to the next World Cup. Can you just sum up, I, th- I don't think you've talked about it much before, just between France and Argentina that week, just coming off the pitch against France to to what happened in the Argentina. What was that week like or what can what are your memories of that period of time? Because I presume it's a benefit now. Yeah, I obviously came off against France and I was very upset because I thought my World Cup was over. I felt like it was an injury that was going to end my World Cup and we scanned it that night, which was probably, it wouldn't be done now because you wait sort of 36 hours, 48 hours to let the injury sort of show up. And so scan came back clear. So I thought I was imagining things, uh, but I definitely felt what I felt. And um, we probably, cause the scan was clear, probably managed things, 
not as well as we should have those first few days. And that was costly, you know, because as it transpired, I probably could have got back for the quarters and if I'd done things slightly different. Um, but again, hindsight's a great thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a huge regret not being on the pitch for that Argentina game. Um, I remember just watching the stand and I had worked incredibly hard having learned lessons in 2011 and then, um, yeah, uh, strained groin and I'm, I'm out and remember watching it and then obviously devastated for the lads, but obviously devastated that I don't get a chance to go and play in the semi-final the week after, but your initial thoughts are with the guys that are on the pitch. And well, the, I'm asking you all about this is because at some stage in Japan, something disastrous is going to go wrong. Stuff unforeseen even now, even after these thinkies are much more better equipped for when this does come, for whatever it is, whether, whether it's a raft of injuries or whatever, do you think as a group now you are better prepared than ever in that sense? Yeah, we, we've definitely built depth over the last few years, uh, consciously by the coaches, but also through guys picking up knocks. And we've, in some campaigns, like last year's campaign, the Six Nations, we dealt with it really well. We, we seem to lose a centre in every game and, um, you know, Gary then got back for the last two, but Chris had done brilliantly in the game he played. Robbie was playing brilliantly before he got injured. Bundy was the constant through the through the five games, and but like you know that's just an example of how we dealt with it really well. And then this year we didn't deal with it well in Italy. We made a raft of changes, and we we didn't deal with it well. We didn't have that cohesion that we need. Um, so yeah, it's 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 learning from um, from that and making sure that if if things do happen at the World Cup that we're ready to to sort of deal with it and I think New Zealand dealt with you know adversity to win their first World Cup in 2011 but they had planned for the worst case scenario and they talked about what happens and they were ready to deal with it so we can we can have our talks about you know that and make sure that we are prepared this time kind of feeds all into the new Sephora system I'd love to know what you think about it um, new Sephora Joe just everything that they've done like with a Leinster hat on it must be annoying to see Joey Jack Jordy all leaving but what do you think of the whole system in general when you stand away from it? Is, it frust- is there a frustration when you're from a Leinster perspective where you're losing quality players, but then you look at what's been done for Irish rugby in the last two years? Uh, it's great when they're in your position, you get another two-year contract. <laughs> uh, but like you don't want to lose quality from Leinster, and that's what's that's what's happened over the last uh, season or two. You know, Jordy leaving, Joey leaving, um, Jack McGrath's going up to Ulster. Um, but underneath these guys, there's there's guys that are ready to take their chance, you know, so, you know, you almost want to breed a culture in Leinster where, you know, you leave at at your expense, you know what I mean? That's what we want to build. So if you leave, the guy underneath is going to get an opportunity in blue and we want to create an environment that that then he's going to put himself forward for international rugby. And, um, you know, some of the guys that are coming through have benefited from that as well. And I suppose that's what the, the IFU are trying to, Developed the you know the third choice in Leinster coming through, and then suddenly you've got uh, maybe the second choice guys prospering in other provinces. So, look, I can understand both sides of the coin, um, but yeah, from a Leinster point of view, you want as strong a squad as possible. There was a stage last year where we had maybe not last year, the year before, where we had eight international back rowers. Um, now, is that good for our rugby? Probably not, but they were all playing at different times. But now we're down to probably four. Um, but there's two young guys yeah. underneath where. They're ready to to take take the next step, probably. The um, yeah, it, it kind of goes on to Joe's unseen work. Like, how much will he be missed again? Moving away, not as a coach. How much is he kind of irre- irreplaceable for what he does? 
away from the training pitch in Carton House, all the little things he does to keep keep the whole thing moving in a in direction it's been going. We just hear so much about how he, he he tells you you should go here, you should do this, and how much of that is kind of almost irreplaceable when he moves on. Yeah, it was important that you know Joe's legacy will. What he's done for Irish rugby over the last six, seven years has been that'll stand no matter what happens over the next few months. Um, and the bits that we need to like, you know, Faz will do a great job with that as well, I'm sure. And Faz will have learnt of what Joe's done over the last couple of years, so we'll get the benefit of that as well. But um, you know, everything that Joe's done won't just disappear when he's gone, and that's the sign of a good legacy, you know. And it's the sign of, you know, when you have players that retire and you've got players like. Take Jamie Eastlip, for example, how professional he was, someone like Isa, how diligent he was. That legacy rubs off on the the guys underneath them and, and they'll take those habits with them and they'll have left those habits with, with the environment that they left and uh, it'll be the same with Joe, I think. You see him coming back someday? Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um, keep I don't, him in Klonsky or keep him in Churchtown or wherever he is for now anyway. Yeah, maybe he'll stay in Ireland and he'll... Um, He'll hang around, but uh, you know, I'm sure he's wanted across the the world in terms of different jobs. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we can see him back someday. He's yeah. a young guy, so he spoke as well about um, how it was so important to get you back. And was those French years kind of damaging to you? Did he always felt that it, it physically didn't help you, and it fed into that 15 World Cup? You're in. A, I've heard you talk about the Irish medical system, how they look after you now. Was that so? Was that a damaging period of time, or? Because you were kind of, the, you represented, you were the guinea pig for so many people to not go and follow that route because of your two years in France. What's, what do you look at it back now? Was it was it a tough period for you to, um, physically? and It was a great experience for me. Um, I think I, I grew up a lot, I learned a lot. Um, the rugby was probably not what I wanted it to be um, and frustrated me a bit, but, uh, you know, in hindsight, I probably could have dealt with some of the things a little bit better. Um, but like, yeah, I, I know that's been referenced, you know, the, when Joe says, you know, that cost me, but I look back at the amount of games I played and I actually, I'm shocked by the number of games I played because sometimes you listen to all the injuries you've had and all the problems with this and that, but I've, I think I've played close to 300 games and considering I started quite late, you know, I wasn't playing when I was 18, 19, 20 for Leinster, so, you know, in the last 12 seasons I've crammed in a good, good amount of games so um, I might not be as bad as people say and you know when people are questioning the robustness I got through lines towards New Zealand which again there's question marks over that and um, so it's, it's You're grand when you start playing a lot of rugby really it seems like yeah once you get into a Yeah once you get into the same with everyone yeah that's the same but um, you know you just go through phases you can go through phases like last year you know I played you know I only played big games, but that's not my own decision. Um, but I ended up playing, what, 23, 24 games, uh, all of either European Cup, internationals, or knockout in the in the league games, or interpros, which are like European Cup games because they're so hard fought. So, um, And then other years you can go and you, you can have a bad year with injury. But again, like, you know, you, you, you pick up, you know, thing. We were only just talking about the other day. We were comparing how many games different guys had played. And, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised by how many I had played because if you listen to the consensus out there, you'd think I hadn't played a lot. Do you fear for the, the kind of the, the, the state of the game, the brutality? I was talking to Jordy Murphy this morning and he was like, he goes, 
going on about getting rid of jackalin. They just need to protect jackals when they're going in. Like there's so many little things like that. Where the tackle thing is coming over around and round again. And mm. I think you've dealt with the fact that you get a late hit. And I think there's no. I presume you feel there's a bit more of an awareness with referees. But do you feel for the whole state of the game and the physical element of it now, where we're, we're at, we are seem to be at a crossroads? No, because I think the I think the the people that have power over the game have that at heart, and they want to make sure it's a safer game and now the jackal is a thing that because there's been a few bad injuries of people you know coming in the side of a jackler and busting their knee or you know coming in illegally and you know it's uh it's uh it's not nearly the game that i'd be in there too much jackling but uh yeah it's a it's a vulnerable position that those guys are in and often they need to be rewarded earlier or told to get out of there earlier sometimes I think from talking to guys that are jackling, they, they say that where they're susceptible is when the ref isn't making a decision either way and they're there for like six, seven seconds and they're getting hit from all different angles. Like and, torpedoes, is Yeah, like, and, and, you know, from different angles and different amounts of people. So, um, but I'm, I, like I said, I'm sure. Do you feel like you're being minded, like, let's say the Alan Dell hit? Is there much you could have done? Like, if we go back to that again. You know it's a try now if you take that hit effectively because he bites down. Is there any way around this of you avoiding a guaranteed try where you're going to get potentially injured? It's uh, that line that you exist on. It's hard, much- isn't it? Like it's um, yeah. When you take it to, I think there's a good picture though of me. And the ball is in Jacob's hands, and the tackle actually hasn't been made yet. Um, so he has a chance to to pull out. Now it's right on the. It's right on the edge, isn't it? But he doesn't need to continue with the tackle. I think that's where it can be frustrating. So yeah, you can get the timing on the edge, but it's what happens after that. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's people know what they're doing. Other times it is like legitimate and it's, it's legal. Um, like so Issa said two years ago, he went up to the referee in the Saracens game. It was like the fourth time they'd kind of dumped, but they weren't one or two of them were bad, but there was four times where you'd been hit, touched late or whatever. And he went, he goes, I was the captain. I had to talk to the ref. I had to go like, you have to help me here. Is that, is that the key thing that their communication is almost more important than the actual physical contact with, with the officials to protect you from getting smashed off the ball or whatever? Um, again, like it's hard for me because I, I, I can't talk about it too much. I just think it's... Um, it happened at the start of the Scotland game a lot um, for the first 25 minutes and then I left the pitch injured and it didn't happen to anyone again for the rest of the game so it's kind of like maybe it was a tactic maybe it wasn't maybe it was just unlucky or maybe it's the way I played but again it's not like it doesn't concern me too much uh, it's just it's happened over the last while and uh, it'll probably continue to happen I just got to deal with it better that kind of brings you into your role as captaincy. I, I presume you, I, Leo asked you, but did you seek that or did you look for that? Or just as a kind of a progression in your career where you wanted to lead your club or, and why, no, why did you want it if you, why did you say yes to it even? It's something I made an effort not to seek. I think it's something that needs to be, it's an honour and it's something that needs to be, historically with Leinster, we voted for captaincy. Um, you vote for leadership group with Ireland. We've done it recently as well with votes. Um, and yeah, so it's 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 something that I I've said previously. I've had a I had a conversation when I was twenty five or twenty six with Declan, where there was injuries. Brian was out, Paul was out, and he came up to me and said, "What do you think?" And I totally sat on the fence and just said, "Well, like if if the players want me to do it and you want me to do it, I'll do it. But if you don't, well then don't." And and he said, "Well, I don't think it's right for you." 
And I said, okay, well, that's your decision then. Now, if I had maybe reacted differently, maybe he would have made me captain. I would have been a young captain then and probably would have learned some harsh lessons and would have got destroyed in certain areas. Um, but like, you know, and then other times, and I had to wait till I'm what, 30, 32 to take over the captaincy of Leinster. So was that Ireland? Uh, was it with Decky? With Ireland, yeah. It was a very so, Decky kidney thing to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, Who uh, did he give it to? Yeah, uh, I think Jamie took it in the end. Mm. Um, that was a tough year then, wasn't it? And then it was a tough year. So in hindsight, like maybe I, it was a right thing, but so it's not something I've sought. It's not something I think, but it's something that I've wanted other people to think of me as the captain. And I've tried to sort of model myself on like keeping high standards, my own performances, all that stuff that goes into setting standards off the pitch. And, uh, I've always wanted people to think that I was, you know, deserved to be captain, but it didn't come till late in my career. And there's probably deficiencies there and my leadership or personality that stopped me from getting there and you have to learn from them and um, they're probably still there at times but um, So who would sure. you model yourself on? You mean the way you, you can get in conflict with officials sometimes yeah? Have you had to water do you, do you want to change that? No I think that, that's a lot is made of that when it's if you actually listen to you know it's a learning process for me as well like a good example is the Munster game then in Thomond and what I was actually saying to Frank and I know Frank really well I played with Frank and all I was actually saying to him was perfect in terms of language, but maybe the way I was saying it, because you're in the heat of battle, you forget that like it's a physical sport and I actually don't realise what I look like until I go and review it. And I go, well, yeah, maybe I'm being a bit aggressive, you know, the way I'm standing or the way I'm thinking, but what I'm saying is, is actually good and, and is acceptable. And, and he felt the same after the game and, uh, you know, I spoke to him after the game again, like, we have each other's phone numbers. We're able to talk to each other. And uh, so, look, there's learning there because... So if you go back down with a blue jersey and you're captain to Thomas Park again, there's much going to change. Yeah, like I was getting heckled by the crowd and he was calling me over because there's so many incidents in the game mm. and he was calling me over like 90% of the time. I probably only asked him off my own bat like a couple of times. And I was every time I went close to him, I was being like, the crowd were going crazy. But like I was like, what am I, like if he calls me, I meant I have to go over and speak to him. Uh, so again, perception versus reality can be uh, dangerous. He's the best leader you've been under then that you can take stuff from. You kind of. Um, I think look, I'm very lucky to work with some great captains. Um, Leo is very good for Leinster. Uh, Brian with Ireland, but Paulie, Paulie was for me is uh, ticked all the boxes in terms of. Um, just everything was for the team. Um, he was obviously very inspirational. He was, you know, led by example. Um, but I can say the same about Brian as well, you know. So between those two, very lucky to, very privileged to play with both of them, uh, let alone play underneath them. And uh, what, what, what boxes did Paulie tick that kind of stood out for you? Like, was there, obviously we saw it and all that, but was it his calmness or, or the way he kind of led, made decisions in games? Or Yeah, uh, well, he wasn't too calm. Uh, <laughs> he was... Uh, he was inspirational, like he made you play better. Um, you know, when he was in the team, the team played better and that's a sign of a good player and a good leader. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was a great guy off the pitch as well. He was at the, the heart of, you know, good crack and, um, you know, some of the slagging and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I like, again, Brian played under him a lot. I didn't, I don't think I got too many years with him in Leinster as captain because he, he stepped down from the job, but, uh, were you and Issa kind of a kind of a team then to a certain degree? Were you? Issa was 
very he was a brilliant captain in terms of leading by example he never said a lot Issa um, and look uh, sorry Issa was you know a brilliant captain obviously you don't get to win the double without a good captain and uh, I think uh, he was excellent as well but like I said he was very quiet um, but just do what I do not what I not what I say kind of character and uh, definitely someone that the young guys in Leinster looked up to idolise as such and when he's thrown himself into things like the way he did, um, you know, everyone follows him and uh, that's the sign of a good captain as well. But Brian and Paul also ticked those boxes. Was it a great blow then in, after Paulie was carried off after the French game just for a few days there when you've lost? Because nobody would have expected you to lose. O'Connell just hadn't been injured, you know what I mean? Was that a real kind of a rattle? Did that rattle the group? or? Yeah, you? I think so. I think uh, when you lose him as a player and a, a leader, it's, it does hit the group hard. And uh, yeah, he was... He was the biggest loss during that World Cup as anyone else, and um, I remember speaking to us the night before we played Argentina, and like the, I don't know if there was a dry eye in the room, like he was just that uh, caught up about missing it himself, and I think he knew that his his career was probably over at that stage, and uh, that was a tough one. I wasn't playing; I was even you know emotional about it. So it was uh, yeah, that will live with us. Is there kind of is there kind of like a, a holy trinity now the Leinster cap Munster captain Ulster captain kind of running the show or how does it work with you as a leadership group now is is that fair? Yeah, there's well there's six or seven of us in the leadership group and uh, we work closely with the the management and uh, yeah it's important that you don't have all the the burden on one player so Rory's captain um, when he's not there Pete seems to be captain so we can't put it all on those two so it's important that the guys underneath them. Um, can sort of you know lead things as well and we need some other guys coming through now that are you can see the leadership in them but sometimes when you're young and you're only got a, f a few caps you don't feel like you can say it but you can see it in some of the other guys that they're they're sort of waiting to to get there and you know James Ryan these type of guys Dan Levy they're sort of waiting to in there and Gary as well and um, where uh, I was going to say to you about James Ryan and Gary they just Again, it's outside looking in. They just, especially, Gary's kind of grown into it, but James Ryan always just looked like a, just a leader in waiting. Like, well, he leads by example, doesn't he? He's, his performances speak for themselves. And again, he'd be, he wouldn't say too much, but when he does speak, he, I think guys sit up and take notice because obviously he performs the way he does. And um, yeah, I think uh, he doesn't say too much. So when he does, it, it really takes uh, takes notice by the guys. I just want to finish up just talking to you a bit about your future. You're, you're definitely playing until you're 36, I think, anyway, yeah? Is, and then, well, two years more contracted, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you start getting into Tom Brady mode, or what's the thinking, or...? We'll see. Like, there's there's guys in every country that play to their sort of outliers. There's a guy like George Gregan with Australia, Brad Thorne, Brian and Paul with Ireland, Rory now. Um, so there's good examples there, if you look after yourself and do the right things, that you can, you can play to... Till you want or as much as you're you need to look with injuries you know so that's the that's the big thing um so uh i want to keep playing for as long as i can and there's like i said there's some good examples there of of guys where you can you can be outside that sort of group i thought jamie would have been another one that played till he was 39 40 and and he sort of thought it and then one injury finishes it all so just shows how, how uh, fickle it can be will you be a coach I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to know what when you finish, when I finish, what age I'll be, what my family, what age they'll be at. You know, whether it suits them to go and travel, whether you can do what Leo did and just, you know, take over your 
home province. That's the dream world. Um, but I don't know if it's an area I want to go. Um, I'll see you and see what state I'm in after the next few years. Because would you look at Paulie and see what he's done? It's like I actually love him. I, I want him just to sit in BBC and tell us what's going on all the time. But he's he's trying to figure out if coaching's for him. Are you watching what someone like him does? Yeah, I think with Paulie, like I think. I think the the higher up in the game he goes, the more impact he's going to have. Like I think, like the, the the better players that he works with, the the more they'll understand him because he's that good and like and thinks about the game that deeply, like other professional players do. I think he'll have more of an impact. So, you know, him going back to Munster or coming into Ireland, or I think that's when he'll have huge impact as opposed to you know being with the twenties um, mm. or Stade Francais. I don't think. Um, no, that's just me. I, I haven't spoke to him or you know got that from the the horse's mouth, but that's my own opinion on it. I think the better teams that he gets to is when he's going to have a huge impact. Sure. What else would you do? Would you have to go into media or something if you don't go into coaching, though? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I'd, you don't begrudge guys that go into it because you know ultimately it's a the job. It's it's when you finish playing rugby, you know you, you need to provide for your kids and for your uh, family and you know guys have to go into that area um, I find it tough personally that I sit and I listen to guys that I love playing with and guys that uh, I idolise and suddenly they're there and they're you know criticising the team and criticising maybe they have to criticise you and you're like you know I don't want to be that guy that does that to Gary Ringrose or James Ryan or Robbie Henshaw mm-hmm. like Again, you might have to do that, um, and so I'm, I'm not saying I'll never do it because you don't want to make a fool of yourself by saying that. But I'd like to go into something else, whether it be staying in the game and go into coaching and give back to the game, or whether it goes into something totally different, get away from sport and just go into I don't know. Have you noticed that Roger's or? done everything you've just said though, and he's doing all at the same time. He's managed to find this brilliant balance of yeah, a coach. A, a TV personality and whatever, and, and a father of five kids. I think. Yeah, um, he's done it differently, but again, that's he's he's enjoying it and he's he's loving it and he's thriving in, in each area that he's doing it in. And love people love listening to him, whether it's coaching or or doing the media. Um, but I'm just saying from from my point of view, like when if if I have to hear him criticise me or the team, like, and I'm, I know for the other guys it breaks their heart a little bit because we play with them, we. We were on the pitch together, um, so it's it's hard to take, and yeah, it's not something I'd love to do. Um, but again, you might have to. I just want to ask you one more question, then I'll leave you alone. Does the version of Ireland that beat the All Blacks, and then the version of Ireland that was in the second half in Cardiff or whatever, like obviously you're somewhere in between on a consistent level, but like, have you do you feel like you can find like at that level of consistency that you've jumped against in you know, 2018 or in certain World Cups? In pool stages, obviously, and stuff like that. Do you do you really feel that this team would be just be better than all those things that we've seen over, like especially last year? Do you think it'd be a better team when you get to Japan? Or how yeah, you see, you got you go by like you know opinion, and you all forge your opinions. But like we look at like facts, like so we're you know in a result business really. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think we've won twenty three out of twenty six internationals. Our last internationals, something yeah, yeah, was, yeah. which is probably the best record by a country mile yeah. of any Irish team so like the inconsistencies uh, through the Six Nations like there was Irish teams in the past that would have killed to have three victories 
and you know lose to England and lose to Wales away like you know they would have bit your hand off for those results so we've changed the perception of the team in the country um, over the last few years and that's great and that's the positive to, to look at um, but we're not losing confidence because we can go back and say yeah well we've won our last 23 of 26 internationals that's pretty good uh, things didn't go away in a couple of games but we're not far away from from getting back to those real consistent performances and uh yeah, so sometimes, you know, you get like perception reality, they're they're different. Um so we'll we'll take some good lessons from the last uh, few months and we'll take them with us to the World Cup. And I think if we do what we want to do with the World Cup, we'll look back at the Six Nations and say, you know, that's the moment that we sort of turned the corner and we learned some harsh lessons before the World Cup as opposed to True World Cup. Did you struggle with being favourites? Steve Hansen said that that might be a problem, or was that just an? Easier yeah, well, thing we were favourites for the New Zealand game as well. In some opinions, we were favourites uh, in last year's Six Nations. We were favourites in Australia. Um, we won the Grand Slam, beat Australia in Australia, and we beat New Zealand. So favourites all that year. So it didn't affect us then. It's not going to affect us now because we don't pay that much attention to it. But uh, like I said, the the perception against reality can be can be different and uh, we have to sort of sit somewhere in the middle and and take things for for what they are and uh, look we want to please everyone we want to please all the the people that are watching us we want to make them proud we want to please you know everyone but you, you can't always do that and uh, it's important that you sort of keep things really close within the within the team environment and uh, yeah just keep things together and sometimes you get these setbacks when you don't want them or sometimes you get them when you least expect them and uh, we'll uh, be we'll be better for them hopefully this is the sports chronicle podcast